0: You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts.
1: Hi, this is Caitlin Martin.
0: I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark
2: Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. It's a happy hour edition of The Beltway Briefing. I've got my Larceny small batch
0: bourbon. Connor, what are you drinking? I'm going with the last vestiges of fall with the Shafley's pumpkin ale, which is my favorite of the pumpkin varietals. Tristan, Tristan Bro with us today. What are you drinking?
3: I'm going bougie. I'm starting A. <laughs> All
4: right. Patrick. As the resident Midwesterner, I've got some Great Lakes Christmas ale right here. Caitlin.
1: As a newly formed Virginia lover, I am drinking a Barbersville, Virginia um, Octagon Red Blend glass of wine.
3: Wow, that was that was after election day, wasn't it, Caitlin?
1: It was right after election day. That was how I celebrated.
3: That
2: was that was a very intense description. And with us today from northeastern Pennsylvania, our very own Jim Davis, the head of our uh, Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies Pennsylvania practice, Jim. Welcome. What's on tap in Clark Summit, Glenbird, Scranton, wherever the hell you live.
5: I am reliving my trip out west this uh, uh, summer and drinking some Grand Teton Sour Ale.
6: And last but not least. Not Mark. exciting today. I'm the weak link in the chain. I have an orange mango spindrift is the best I could manage here. Mm. <laughs> but mm. That's very
1: on brand for you,
6: because I actually take these podcasts seriously. So... I'm staying sober for the Kyle Rittenhouse discussion. Oh God! Sorry.
2: <laughs> so lots going on, and uh, let's start here. We have an infrastructure bill that's been signed since we last spoke, and the House today passed uh, the Build Back Better bill. Towner, morning. Give us,
4: bring us up Professor. to speed. Professor French.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a fun uh, run in with the, the quote unquote magic minute uh, where the speaker or minority leader or majority leader uh, is allowed under customary procedures, rule 17, clause two, to speak for as long as they want. And it will only be counted for one minute against their time in the rules of the House of Representatives. So, uh Minority Leader McCarthy availed himself of that and uh, led an eight and a half hour uh, talking filibuster uh, on the floor last night uh, that delayed the final vote on the Build Back Better Act until 8 a.m. this morning when it uh, quickly passed uh, 220 to 213. And and,
6: Uh, Towner, whose record did the minority leader break in his eight hour oration?
0: The Honorable Nancy Pelosi, who was very upset about um, Leader McCarthy's uh, speech last night, but she uh, was maybe more upset that her record was broken from 2009 when she spoke for uh, eight hours and 15 minutes uh, on a Dreamer, on the Dreamers, uh, a DACA uh, immigration bill. Uh, I still think the most substantive of of them all uh, was Boehner's on the Affordable Care Act, where he had his dog-eared copy uh, of Obamacare and was flipping through section by section saying, and can you believe this ridiculous thing is in there? Um, which is That's one of my age well. Yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> floor speeches, though, that lasted, if memory serves, about two and a half hours. So we're off to the Senate with Build Back Better. Uh and uh President Manchin has some decisions to make as well as the uh as well as the uh Senate parliamentarian who gets to decide what is applicable and what is um, viable under the bird rules, so this is going to drag on for a few weeks. Uh, more coming. Yeah. And- in
3: speaker De Pelosi's defense, she did hers in heels for eight hours.
1: I <laughs> do have to give her props for that, Tristan. Yeah. that
0: would be uh, you know quite quite a feat. I, I have to admit, I stayed up through the good chunk of it. I went to bed at 4am last night because I really thought McCarthy said in like the second hour that he had to go to the bathroom and I thought this thing's going to be over pretty quickly. And then he just, he persisted. It was amazing.
2: Pretty amazing. She promptly put out a press release entitled What's Wrong with Kevin McCarthy, which is a whole different discussion I actually want to get to later. Uh, The extent to which these folks are constantly throwing one another under the bus and questioning their mental health is kind of not to be believed. But like you said, it's off to the Senate. It's approaching a two billion dollar package now. Patrick, what what do you think is going to happen in the Senate?
4: Uh, I think Towner kind of gave a nice little lead in. I think there's going to be a couple people in particular who decide uh, the fate of this and and really what it looks like uh, going forward. And I think that's the Senate parliamentarian. Uh, and I think that's Senator Manchin. I expect that it will get scaled back. There will be provisions that will get struck out for not being germane under the rules of budget reconciliation uh, that violate the bird rule. And I think that Senator Manchin will exert the tremendous amount of influence uh that he has in the process and get much of what he wants in order to get it over the finish line there was so much talk about well we have to pre-conference this this bill and the house shouldn't have to vote on anything that isn't going to pass the senate and that isn't what happened and part of it is uh one of the great you know kind of fun inside washington debates which is beyond democrats and republicans uh the senate and the house senators have no interest in giving up uh, the authority uh, that comes with winning statewide office to a bunch of moderate house members. So they basically said, screw you, we're going to do this our way and we're going to let the process play out. And then the final screw you will come when they change it and force the house to pass exactly what passes the Senate, which is exactly what.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The bill when it's passed by assuming it's passed by the Senate has to go back to the house and (laughs) who knows
6: Well, we know Christmas Eve is the earliest that this is going to happen, is what we know. Tristan and I were in a meeting with uh, Ron Wyden, chairman of the Finance Committee, of course, uh, earlier this week, asked him about the calendar, and he was hoping to get home for Christmas. He he thinks this is going to take until then, if we're lucky, So to be continued, much much more to be done on Build Back Better before it, it becomes law. Caitlin, what's the view from the right as far as
2: where things are?
1: Well, unsurprisingly, despite claims by the White House and Speaker Pelosi that the Build Back Better Act actually costs zero to um, the American taxpayers, we got a CBO score this week that showed that the BBB will increase the deficit by $367 billion over 10 years. So it's a costly piece of legislation that's certainly going to um, impact uh, a lot of of the deficit. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the Senate and what types of changes are made there
2: it's to me it's really um the the inflation i know i'm a broken record on this mark but the the pressure that inflation puts on this bill i think is from a political point of view is 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 significant and i think from a macro from a macroeconomic point of view really is going to weigh heavily as the senate debates this thing
6: no i agree it's going to get cut in half Maybe it was going to get cut to 75% before inflation kicked in. Now it's going to get cut in half and there'll be more pay for, there'll be more, more revenue before it's done. So we were at most halfway there, but I'm going to, if I may Howard ask Jim Davis, a, a question from, uh, From Northeast Pennsylvania, Jim, you're you're out there and among other things, a supervisor of some township or something.
2: Oh, he's no, 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 no. Excuse me. He's the chairman. The chairman of the board of of
6: supervisors. Supervisors. If I'm not mistaken, there are three supervisors, Jim, and seven people in the township.
5: Uh, (laughs) You got the first part right, Mark, but go ahead.
6: Yeah what do people care about up there? When, yeah, when you're exactly. talking to people at the lake, do you still go to the lake this time of year? When you're wow. talking to people in NEPA, as we say, do, are they, are they talking about any of this? What do people care about where you live?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, and, and the question, the, the answer to the question is, it depends on the day. Um, candidly, our biggest issue has been more localized with school board Uh, arguments over masking and vaccinations um, than it is about infrastructure and and spending. Uh, But obviously, then you get the inflationary impacts of gas prices going up and everything else. So uh, it's certainly not politics as usual for in the world that we live in and as it relates to local localized aspects and perspectives. Is
2: um, Jim, just just sticking on that, what there there's been so much coming out of Washington over. The past couple of years, you know, that arguably is what has caused this inflation. I mean, the economy as a whole, it's its very hard to figure out what's going on. The economy is doing well. Wages are up. Inflation is up. People can't find workers. The markets are up. The markets are up. I mean, I guess all that is related on some level. But 18 months ago, we thought we were on the edge of the next Great Depression. Yeah. And so much money has come out of Washington. You're the chairman of the board of supervisors of Glenburn Township.
5: Uh, I think that <laughs> I get that right. You got it right. And yep. unfortunately, there's no video
4: to show my laughter, but go ahead. OK, <laughs> <How> <laughs> oh, much so what structure money are you guys getting, Jim? Yeah. What
2: has it <laughs> been? What has it been like? Yeah. Well, it being in that position as all this has been going on.
5: So I don't want to take too much of the time, but over the, uh, over the duration of COVID, you know, our initial reaction in the first few months was a concern about how it was going to, the revenues were going to impact our ability to fund our budget. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, we have a population of about 1,300 people in our township, um, and we received $130,000 from the feds. Uh, through the the first round of COVID dollars, which we have to split 65,000 that we've actually received already and 65,000 that we'll have to spend. And it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of requirements on that money. And we are, in the interest of full disclosure, struggling to find things that are eligible that we can spend the money on. And like most funding uh, things in government, if you don't use it, you lose it. So we are looking at ways to making our township buildings and, and facilities a little, more, um, health, a little more health conscious focus on it, like mm-hmm. changing out carpets that might hold on to dust and everything else. But it's a challenge. And, and, and Howard, you and I spoke about it. Our property tax collections are up. Our income tax collections are up. There's a lot of different things that are up right now as it relates to revenues within our township. Um, that are exceeding a lot of our expectations. And I don't think we are um, atypical.
2: So in that context, how do you think about, how are people thinking about the fact that we have trillions more dollars of potential government money um, in the queue?
5: I, I, I mean, again, from a localized perspective, it's, it's business as usual, and everybody worrying about what, how is it impacting day-to-day lives? And school boards and is my road getting plowed and that stuff again i think the majority of america that's what matters most now politics has has come to the dinner table more than ever so i think people are still either frustrated on both sides with politics but i think it's just more out of the social media and angry at the world perspective than it is in day-to-day lives to be candid Mm -hmm.
2: tristan you're you're i was just going to say tristan you've got your cunningham for governor uh Sweatshirt on there. What are, you know, what are you hearing as far as South Carolina? What are the people you talk to thinking about with respect to,
3: to all of this? You know, I, so a couple of things. Um, yes, I do have my Cunningham for governor um, sweatshirt on and, and my former boss will always be um, um, the best politician I've ever worked for uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, options, you know, yeah. Talking about is very interesting because you have so many folks who have heard from Republicans over the last couple of months is that all of these social spending programs are going to be cost, um, you know, it's going to cost the American dollar. It's going to cost high taxes. Democrats have said they won't. Um, It's not going to cost any more. It's not going to increase the deficit. It's going to be a pay for. Um, And now, ultimately, it seems like, as Caitlin pointed out earlier, it's a lie. It's, it's definitely going to cost uh, the American taxpayer more. But you look at the holistic person, um, you know, the you know, you know, Joe Small on the street who can't get a water heater or who can't get a washer and dryer. Gas prices are four dollars, um, you know, who's been trying to find a contractor to fix that fence in the backyard for the last seven, eight months. Um, all these different kitchen table issues of like, OK, I hear these great things that are coming out of the White House and the Democrats are doing, but they're not impacting me. They're not helping me. I'm still dealing with this crisis of the pandemic. And so we, on the Democratic side, have a messaging problem of like what we're actually doing and how it's actually going to help you. Because I feel like it's going to come into um, this great thing within December of next year, but it's going to be far too late because all the arguments that have been put in place have been true. Uh, and so that's really what folks are hearing now. I'm hearing folks down, particularly in, in in the South, of like, hey, how are you? The old Janet Jackson song. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> what are you doing for me now,
2: Tristan? I, I could have used you used you last week. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just just to be clear. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, look, this it's real. It's it's real money. Well, it's funny money actually, but it's look, these are real dollars that have an impact, and I don't think. Look, there's going to, from a client perspective, Mark, there's going to be a ton of opportunity. I mean, I think that's one point to stress here, obviously. We're in business and the dollars are going to flow. They're going to flow out through the states. I mean, there's a ton. There's going to be a ton of opportunity for our clients coming out of Washington.
6: Well, there's a ton of opportunity already in the infrastructure package, which thanks. That's really what I mean. Yeah well right and build back better is more yep. uh, when when that comes you know we've been taking a close look at that professor french sent around a, a wonderful analysis uh, earlier in the week so yes there there is money that is going to flow our clients are interested and we are very active on on that front on the build back better front speaking of clients and our business we're still working on on what's in and what's out there are client interests on the climate provisions especially on some of the carbon provisions patrick i I know is active on the uh, electric vehicle front so yeah, a lo- a lot of uh, advocacy uh, still to be be done before this is over.
2: There's a lot of confusion too today. I won't. I will not name names, but today we went scrambling to find out if a provision we've been spending a lot of time on was in or out, and clients sent us a bill that was sent to the, the Build Back Better bill, the final bill that was sent to them by one of the big 4 accounting firms and, except it wasn't the final bill. <laughs> it's right. just there's mass confusion. So they thought their provision had been stripped out but it hadn't. Anyway, it's it's mass confusion and more to come because as Patrick said the senate's taking uh, taking a swipe at it. So let's pivot because last week we had we had a very intense discussion about Biden's success or, or failure in the first 11
4: months of his presidency and it did, you, a, did it get resolved did we all agree, come to agree on
1: mark was ready on? to quit the podcast without yeah. you patrick he was really missing I, you
6: I, it yeah. was officer down send back up i went looking for <laughs> patrick tristan jim anybody they were all on the golf course, as far as I know. Ooh, but, well, but I will say it was three on one, but I, I think it was close to a draw, Patrick. You should you should judge for yourself. Definitely. Close
3: to a draw.
2: It did spark a lot of texting back and forth between us during, during the week about political discourse. And what's the standard by which we're judging? Um, This presidency, what's the standard by which we should be assessing our politics and and the parties you had this week? We had uh, Representative Goser censured and kicked off of his committees for his disgusting anime or whatever the hell it's called of AOC being murdered or whatever it was. It's hard to even describe. You've got. You know, the whole let's go Brandon thing, maybe it's died down a little bit, but it's to me anyway, it's people like me and Jim Davis sitting in the middle of the political spectrum, working with everybody on both sides, as we all do. I mean, every single person on this podcast Works on both sides of the aisle. Even Mark, even Mark Alderman, talks to Republicans. This is
6: bad for my brand.
2: I, I art, know it's
6: hard I? to believe, this but supposed to be between us.
2: What Mark One of them Alderman he even likes? Mark <laughs> Alderman actually lobbied the Trump White House, perhaps more than he's lobbied the Biden White House. But that's a whole different discussion.
3: That makes you a good Democrat, Mark. Thank that's you, Justin. Thanks, I appreciate that.
2: It's it's It dis- makes me the, an American, Tristan. The let's go Brandon stuff is disgusting. It disgusts me. It physically repulses me. You know, Pelosi's there must be something wrong with Kevin McCarthy thing. Ooh. I don't like that, and I'm not equating that with either We're of the not two di- things I just mentioned. I'm not.
6: I'm not. Patrick, are you gonna do the false equivalents or do I but let's
2: Yeah, let's talk about this. We went back and forth so much this week. It is. It's so important to talk about Patrick. Go.
4: I'm happy to do it. And You know, listen, the the, we're not well served by our political leaders here, because in a moment when you don't really know what to do in modern day politics, just make it political, uh, because if you make something political you're immediately putting into that 50 50 it's going to go one way or the other way depending on where you sit in the world so our, our political leaders do that all the time the point i've been making to folks this week is the the false equivalency between the far left and the far right you know particularly in the u.s house of representatives you know i i can only speak for myself but I don't agree with the squad and aOC on on a whole lot from a public policy standpoint, even though I'm a Democrat, but they're not hurting anyone they're 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 just they're just super liberal, and there's plenty of far right conservative members that aren't hurting anyone either. but what I'm increasingly seeing on the far right is people and to your point, Howard, on questioning people's mental illness and stuff. we need to all do a better job of not throwing around the word crazy and stuff like that types of people i'm talking about these people are dangerous and it's marjorie taylor green and what's her face from colorado and gosser and the whole little cabal of them these Our are people these are people i would not want to run into in a supermarket because i would be afraid that they were going to like physically harm me these are they're bad people they're just by any normal moral standard. These are the people I brought up these guys that you see shouting at someone in an intersection, pointing their finger into them. I don't want those people, uh, in my life. I certainly don't want them in Congress. And I think increasing what you saw with this whole episode, uh, with the Congressman from Arizona is just a, a inability and a fear of what calling this, what it is ends up turning into. And you know, it's it, the, the old adage and Mark Howard, we've talked about this on the show before, that uh, Democrats hate the base and Republicans fear the base. It, it, it is just so unbelievably true. Like AOC is a political celebrity. She doesn't have a whole lot of influence in the Democratic Party. And like I said, she's not a dangerous person. She's just got far left. View. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll push back on that. I agree with you on AOC. There's been
2: there has been some anti-Semitic rhetoric from some of the members of the squad that I think is, is itself dangerous, but there's also been plenty of that on the right. So um, that anyway, that's just one, that's just one issue. But Caitlin, I see you want to. uh, No, I was kicking it to
1: Towner. Towner uh, looks like he's got something to say. We'll let you go first, Towner. I want I I want
0: to go down this rabbit hole and I'm not sure that I should. And I've hesitated to do so for uh, several months. So the best place I could possibly do this is on a public podcast, Um, you know, instead of (laughs) instead of just with us as friends. But, you know, there is, uh, I think, on the Republican side and I can't defend. A single thing, and I won't defend a single thing that Bobert or Marjorie Taylor Greene or you know, pick Gosar, um, you know, the clown down in Florida. Any of those guys, I'm not going to defend a single thing they do. I wish they weren't in my party. I'm a Republican, but I wish they weren't in my party. Um, I don't know how to extricate them, and as soon as I figure that out, uh, I'll probably run for speaker at some point and and uh, and get them jettisoned from the party. But I will say because. This leads to a a longer term problem uh, between Republicans and Democrats, especially in the House of Representatives. Democrats have decided because Republicans are having a problem, like I just said, policing ourselves, trying to figure out how we extricate Trump, how we extricate the far right and, and really crazy people. Because of that, Democrats have decided they're going to police the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. They're kicking members Off of committees, they're taking punitive actions such as fines for various things they put in the metal detectors and there's a mask fine, but it doesn't apply to Pelosi or Jim Clyburn, for example, you know. And so Kevin McCarthy last night said on the floor, can't wait until we win the House, because I think everybody probably on this podcast thinks Republicans are going to win the House next year and they're going to do the exact same thing back to Democrats. You say one thing, Democrat, and you will be kicked off your committees. The House will vote you off your committees. It used to be up to that caucus or that conference to police themselves. And I'm the first to say Republicans are doing an awful job of policing themselves right now. But the fact that the Democrats in the House have taken an incumbent on themselves to police the Republicans has been a problem that will manifest itself down through multiple Congresses uh, from this point forward, yeah, I, I think it will. I think it will manifest
4: itself in in going forward. But I'm also fine having a conversation about what's acceptable and what's not. I, I hate this. Like, well, where do you draw the line? And well, well, what? I, I'll I'll tell you where I draw the line right now. You can't put up a video saying you're going to kill one of your colleagues. You Absolutely. can't face down members like Marjorie Taylor Greene does, and fit, like physically. Uh, threaten them you can't do that stuff and i am completely fine with the democratic majority policing those people and you know what if when the republicans get into power they want to start stripping committee assignments because maxine waters says something silly or if they want to impeach joe biden on the first day they have the majority go right ahead because i trust the public to with a clear eyed kind of look decide if these things are equal or not but the false equivalency like i cannot stand it
2: and just, just to be clear, Mark, and, and you and I, I know, will agree on this. Every single person, on nobody on this podcast in any way, shape, or form supports any of the bad acts we're, no, we're talking about.
6: Absolutely agree with that. I have nothing but respect and affection for our friends and colleagues on this podcast. The problem, Towner, though, is respectfully, that the Republican Party is not trying to extricate itself from Donald Trump, which is what you a moment ago cited. The problem is that the Republican Party is owned by Donald Trump and that the bad behavior of those in Congress we've been talking about is being encouraged by the leader of the party They are not outliers today in the Republican Party. They are followers of the unquestioned leader of the party. And that is the the core of the false equivalency because one party is led by a man who is unquestionably, nobody on this podcast disagrees, trying to undermine the democracy that we live in, and the other party, whatever its many faults, and and Patrick and, and Tristan and I know more of them even than you do, but notwithstanding all of our many faults, we are actually trying to uphold and support the democracy we've been privileged to live under for 200 plus years—the leader of your party is trying to destroy it. That's the problem here.
1: We, I feel like we I need to push to be, back for a we, minute on that point, Mark. I mean, look, I, I completely disagree with you that Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. Who, there who was is the strong, leader of the
6: Republican there Party? There was a there was who a gather- who is the leader of the there was Republican a Party?
1: Gathering <laughs> of Republican governors this week, including our new Virginia Governor elect, Glenn Youngkin. Glenn Youngkin <laughs> who, oh, by the way, this didn't work for McAuliffe. This didn't work in the Virginia race. Screaming Trump, Trump, Trump isn't going to work to keep Dem- to let Democrats keep the House. Donald Trump was not mentioned. They're talking about Republican. Policies. They're talking about getting back to small, limited government, solving the supply chain issues, bringing gas prices down, getting Americans jobs that pay well and getting folks back to work, getting schools reopened, getting economies restarted. That's what they're focused on. They're not focused on Donald Trump. Who is I'm the leading contender
6: the for your party's leader? nomination for president? Yeah, or if, what if, we, if we pulled the House
4: Republican caucus, Towner and Caitlin, and asked all of them to write down on a piece of paper who is the leader of their party, who do you think would get the most votes?
0: It depends on if they show it to Trump.
1: Exactly. It depends <laughs> if it's public or not. that's the
3: point. That's <laughs> the problem. That's the problem. Tristan, you jump in. Like, but so so here's, here's here's my here's my grief with the with with the Republican Party, is that you have to be consistent in your argument. They argued in 2010 when Speaker Pelosi then, literally took Charlie Rangel through an ethics committee process, and they argued that he stalled for two years to hold his gavel through a process when she had the power to censor him and remove him from the chairmanship. They argued that. John Banner argued that issue. Same thing now. The Republicans are saying, well, how do you censor, you know, and remove Gosar? And you could have taken him to the ethics co- committee. You have a process. Like, you can't, like, because you're in power or not in power, you can't switch the argument. You have to be consistent in your argument. Oh, yeah? Have and you I met think- Mitch McConnell?
6: And I, and I, and I we're focused on. this is
1: not what America is talking about. We are we are finding I, ourselves I in the exact same echo chamber, having the exact same conversations that the media is having this weekend. It's just it's it, I'm just going back on mute. <laughs> no, <laughs> well,
3: Caitlin, America's not talking about this. And I, and, I, and I get that. I think that that's the issue. That's the issue we have with both parties of being able to go back to the to the fact of kitchen table politics, of talking to. Their constituents and talking to the voters. We no longer do that.
1: And the think- issues that Jim just mentioned, that he hears in his township each and every day, what Americans are focused yeah, on.
2: look, that's that is. Uh, I think Caitlin, you, you said the word media, and Mark hates when I do this, but I blame the media for a lot of this because. And look, we do it on this. We do it on this podcast, but the media. Is all about creating controversy. It's all about it's all about fighting. It's all about eyeballs to it's all about ratings.
1: And all they want to talk about is Donald Trump. That's true. Because it's helpful to their agenda.
4: That's true. (laughs) Connor, do you disagree with what Speaker Pelosi did though? I mean, if you I don't think she's necessarily like the biggest fan of AOC. I don't think AOC makes her life a whole lot easier on a day to day basis legislatively, but I, I mean, if a member of your caucus is threatened in that way, like what would happen at one of our kids schools if that if someone posted it? You know, I just. Well, here's I, the interesting. thing. I, I get the whole yeah. like we, you know, we have to have a standard for how we police ourselves. But but like give it like the eyeball test. Right. I mean, it just doesn't hold up. And nobody's defending it.
6: No.
0: And right. I think this harkens back to like what is old school house versus new school, because Pelosi's first inclination was just to censure. Gosar, which is totally appropriate. And quite frankly, it would then be appropriate for Republicans to respond by kicking Gosar off his committees and taking care of that in-house. But the decision was made instead to both censure and kick him off of the committees. And so it is a it is a direction from the Democratic leadership as opposed to Republicans then given the opportunity to take care of it in-house. It's just an assumption that that wasn't going to happen. And it may be a correct assumption, but Probably at the same good. point in time, you know, <laughs> the, the bottom line is that uh, the bottom line is that, you know, now Republicans coming in potentially to the majority feel emboldened to to take whatever punitive action they feel they need to take against Democrats going forward. So, And, and if a member
3: of my if a member of my party threatens uh, a member of the Republican Party. I or incites violence, violence
1: on an MSNBC I would be the first TV hit. To
3: agree, to agree that they, they, they should be censored and removed.
0: Yeah, here's the problem though. Like Republicans actually have a rule that says if you're indicted and you're a chairman or ranking member of a committee, you're kicked off of that committee and kicked out of that seat. Democrats don't. Republicans have several different rules within their conference rules about fundamental ethics questions and whether or not you're allowed to serve on committees. Especially in various leadership roles, you all have a couple of
3: indicted members, though. So, is it, are
0: they following that rule? Oh yeah! Anytime so, an indictment comes down, you are gone from from your committee chairmanship. It is one hundred percent.
2: So let's go north up to up to the great city of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Jim, you spend a lot of time there. What are people talking? How is this playing out in the Pennsylvania legislature in, in Harrisburg? in the terms of the interplay between the governor and, and the legislature, like what, what are people talking about in Harrisburg? What's on the agenda? And, um, is this same kind of thing happening? Is it different? What's, give us the state perspective. Oh,
5: there are certain, certain aspects and facets of both parties that are following the lead from Washington. Um, you know, it hasn't been reported publicly, but, or, or widely that there is a, uh, an audit effort continuing to go in Pennsylvania. It hasn't continued to get the national attention it initially did, but there is a in, non, An election audit. An election audit from the 2020 election, excuse me, with 2019, but the 2020 Biden au- outcome, they're they're formalizing the audit again, just like they did in, in Arizona. And actually, uh, either yesterday or today, the Pennsylvania Republican Senate hired a firm out of Iowa to conduct the investigation. So, to your point, it's it's going it's continuing to go on in Pennsylvania with respect to the national impacts of of the election that is has obviously led to so much controversy here. But
6: and, and what, <laughs> what is the dynamic in the Republican uh, primaries for governor and senator? The dynamic in Pennsylvania and uh, you'll correct me, Jim, if I'm mistaken here. The dynamic in the Republican primaries is: can anybody beat Trump's endorsed candidate? That's that's, that's, that's the reality. The governors, Caitlin, uh, uh, can convene and discuss infrastructure and gas prices and good and good they they should be and and i'm happy to hear they are meanwhile let's see what happens in the republican primaries next year where trump is actively seeking to endorse and elect supporters of his i i don't i i wish it weren't so nothing Nothing in politics would make me happier or prouder than for the Republican Party to rid itself of the stain of Donald Trump. But it just isn't factual when you say that nobody's talking about Trump. The audit is taking place because the majority leader of the Senate, Jim's friend and golf partner, has to placate Trump so he can run for governor. That's the world we live in. I wish it weren't.
5: Jim, <laughs> I, I, I'm at a point when I can't ever be speechless. I think I'm speechless with that assessment, but I mean, there is some accuracy there. It, it becomes the, the question of how to either get the blessing of, of the former president or just to avoid the ire. Well, and, and that's a problem, but look at what just happened in Virginia. Well, and, and what happened in Virginia. And, and, and again, to that point, if I'm allowed to, if I'm able to look forward, Pennsylvania has not had eight years of the same, more than eight years of the same party since 1955.
2: You mean in the governorship?
5: In the governor's office, yes. So at the end of this, at the end of this next cycle, Governor Wolf is finishing the eighth year as a Democrat. It should be a Republican that wins it for various external reasons and historical reasons. It would help, it would would, help, Mark,
2: it would help if he
5: actually knew how to legally cast a ballot. Yeah, that's another part, but we'll let Mark defend that. But but so let's just fast forward to 2023 when when the right hand is up of whoever the Republican winner is, Trump is going to take credit for that. Republicans are going to see. See, it's another it's another push to say Democrats aren't the right fit. And it's a midterm, as we all know what happens in midterms to to the the presiding power.
2: I think, look, it's. I mean, one of the most remarkable things that I've seen in the last year since Trump left office was George W. Bush's speech on 9-11 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where he basically said to all these nuts, get the hell out of my party. Let's get back to I mean, politics has always been a bit of a blood sport, but let's get back. Let's get back to normal. Let's get back. Let's be patriotic. It's. um. But it, I mean, I don't disagree, Mark. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to resonate with the average Republican voter. It's, I don't know, I don't know how we get past it. I, I guess I have faith in some sort of reversion to, to normal. That I, I think a Glenn Youngkin victory, a, a a George Glenn Youngkin is a George W. Bush right. style Republican. He's a Mitt Romney style Republican. He ran away from Donald Trump. I hope as somebody who votes has voted for both sides. I, I hope that's, I hope that changes the narrative. I hope that's the future and not, you know, this crazy placation of the Trumpian, which is by the way, all about Trump view of the world.
1: But we have to be careful there, Howard, because yes, yes, running away from Donald Trump, but at the same time, threading the needle where you're not running away from the 74 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. So there's a needle to be threaded there and just demonizing everyone that voted for all those 74 million people that voted for Donald Trump because they believed his policies were better for the country than Joe Biden's and what we're seeing now and build back better, etc., It's it's a delicate needle to thread.
2: Even Mark said that Hillary Clinton calling Trump supporters a basket of deplorables um, was was wrong. It's I mean, it was not true. It it it
6: was not only bad politics, stupid politics. It's not true. No, it's not
2: true. true. It's not fair. And um, it's not productive. It's not productive to to constantly be calling each other, uh, each other names and, no. and labeling people and people have to put food on their tables and they have problems. They have challenges and there are things in this country that have gone wrong.
6: And I'm, I'm they're nominating. Upset. I'm in favor of a French Martin ticket in 2024 and in, in either order, Martin French works. Just <laughs> Definitely. Definitely.
2: But these are my martin kind french. of
6: republicans on this screen here
2: <laughs> definitely martin french right okay, just to be french clear.
4: martin uh we could have a little martini logo kind of you know <laughs> i feel like it'd be a nice little so,
0: marketing thing. caitlin would make me deal with the border crisis so
2: we're gonna we're gonna end <laughs>
1: Senator, on this i would have so wait, oh, faith that you would be able to deal with that crisis let, my let
6: me be clear when i said martin that was caitlin not patrick Uh, (laughs)
2: very true you didn't need to clarify that Uh, yeah i didn't have there was no ambiguity in my mind that that's what you meant (laughs) um but all right it is november 19th i know i'm not supposed to mention the date but it is the week before thanksgiving and so like we do annually here on the beltway briefing we're going to go around and say what we are thankful for and i'll start i am thankful for all of you i'm thankful for all of our other colleagues at, at Cozen and Cozen O'Connor public strategies. It's a wonderful uh, supportive and friendly place to work and collegial. I'm, I'm thankful for our clients uh, that pay our bills and, and are just great to work with. And I'm thankful for Joe (laughs) mansion.
4: Patrick go. Um, You know, Cheesy kind of typical, but thankful for my family. My wife's, uh, expecting, we got a baby on the way due in March. It's kind of all, all I can think about. So, uh, you know, thankful for, for my wife and for my kids.
0: Towner. I am thankful for a lot of new things. I got a new firm this year. I have a new family member, our son, Charlie. I'm mm-hmm. thankful for uh, new and old clients. I agree with you. And, uh, uh, I'm thankful that uh, Mark and I are rarely in the same room together. No, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Tristan,
3: uh, I'm going to echo my colleagues. I, I'm I'm thankful for my family. Uh, I'm thankful for, um, I, I'm thankful for with all that's going on with COVID and and the pandemic, things could be much worse um, than they are for particularly my family. And um, so many around the country are dealing with this in so many different ways. And I am blessed to not be dealing with it um, and have great colleagues like you and have a steady income um, and things that that happen. But also the fact of still thankful for COVID for being able to spend more time to be able to work and spend time with my family. Um, Things that are the best of both worlds that I've, I've been given for this year. Yeah, Caitlin.
1: I am thankful that I was reflecting on this last night. I'm very thankful we are in a much different place this year, this time this year than we were this time last year. We've got back, over 80% of adult Americans are fully vaccinated. We're seeing some return to normalcy. We're seeing each other in person and back at the office. I am very thankful that we've gotten through you know, some dark years and some dark times. And we're all still here as a team with working hard for really wonderful, fantastic clients. And I'm just really thankful that this year is, um, strides above where we were this time last year.
5: Jim Davis. Well, I'm going to echo the family and friends, uh, aspect of being thankful. Um, but I am also thankful this football season is almost over at least (laughs) from the college level, um, and working towards the pro. So obviously being a little lighthearted there with that comment, but, um, very thankful for all of you and for everyone that, uh, and most importantly, my voters. So um,
4: I'll I was going to say,
5: as the only elected official on this call, I'm thankful for my voters and my okay. constituents. That's frightening
2: on a lot of levels.
6: Mark. All of the above, uh, of course. Uh, all, everything everybody said, except the part about Towner and I not being in the same room, I would look forward <laughs> to that. But all of the above, <laughs> and, and I am very thankful that we still live in a country where we can do this, where we can get on the screen and broadcast to the public this debate, where we can disagree, where we can indict a former president and not fear a knock on the door. So I am very grateful for this country and um, rooting for us to keep it.
1: Well said, Mark.
2: On that note, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to our listeners and cheers. Happy
1: Thanksgiving. Cheers. And with
2: a cheers. Cheers.
0: Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.